0: There we go. Matthew chapter 27 is where we're going to be today. Uh, <clears throat> next week is uh, Palm Sunday. we got a special service uh, planned. We've got some special music that's going to happen. Uh, I have a special gift for you uh, next Sunday. Uh, but in the beginning of that, I actually have a gift for you today. And it's on the information table. And it's here. It was here last week. Uh, and it's this little booklet that... Daily Bread is published, there is a Redeemer. It's uh, uh, reflections from Daily Bread centered around the Easter season. And if you haven't picked one up for yourself, I want you to do that. But actually, I want you to pick up a whole handful. And these uh, are good ways in which you can uh, introduce the real Easter season uh, to others. Not Easter eggs, not Cadbury bunnies that look like pigs that etc, all of those things that are on the television today. Uh, but what Easter really is. I mean you know we talk about tis the the, the season at Christmas time it's Christ's birthday and we talk about that. well it's the same thing here. What is this about? It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And we're going to be talking about that today in the message. So pick a few of these up on the information table that's right out the door uh, before you leave today and uh, use them uh, as uh, handout tools. Wonderful way to do that. A couple of things. there's We don't know how it could possibly have happened, but we have a Pyrex baking dish. I don't know how it got home. I don't know what we carried home in it. But it is not ours, and we think it might be one of yours. That is back on the table. If you go back and say, oh, there it is. I can take it home now. Please do, because I don't know what else we can do with it. Also, there's kale back there. That's homegrown uh, chard. What did I say? Kale. kale. That's the other stuff. Okay. We had some last week, and it's absolutely delicious. Uh Take some home, have some Swiss chard uh, today or tomorrow, freshly grown out of a garden right here at Sun City. Uh, there for you. Take as much as you want, as much as you think. And don't forget that stuff when you cook it, It like spinach, it just all of a sudden a cup turns into a teaspoon and uh, where did it all go? We don't know, but there it is. So help yourself, That it's back there uh, for you. So, so much for that. Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to pray uh, as we begin our message today. I've entitled the message, Sight at the Cross. And you'll see what that's about uh, in just a moment. So let's pray together that the Lord might touch us with his very, very familiar message. I want to say something about that uh, in relationship to the songs we sang just now. And I'll do that after we pray. Gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. Uh, this day, let the words that we hear go to our minds and hearts, uh, not just empty words, but words of you, your words to us. Speak to us, we ask today. Speak to us in song, speak to us in message that we might hear what you would have uh, for us this day. Feed us, we ask from your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, the title of the message, I think I said it already, uh, is Sight at the Cross. So what's the sight at the cross? There's a few things that we want to remember that we see at the cross, and I want to uh, talk about those things in the context in which they uh, appear. So let's look at Matthew chapter 27, and I used to be able to say turning your Bibles, but now it's you know, whatever, whatever device that you use, get there, however you get there, I'm not sure. I turned in my Bible, uh, and, and people say that I'm, I'm not technologically astute, and how could they possibly say that? I turned on my recorder, I'm recording my message today, uh, I actually checked my email yesterday all by myself, didn't have any help, worked out really well, and, uh, The technology that's in this book is just wonderful. I turn to it right away. It's right here. Chapter 27. Verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Who's him? But Pilate, of course. And this is the beginning of what we uh, call the sight at the cross. This is what happens at the cross. Barabbas was to be crucified and we chose Barabbas to be freed that day in, in opposition of Jesus Christ himself and it's Jesus that's going to be crucified and that's what the verse is telling us. And the wonderful thing about the Gospels is what we call the harmony of the Gospels because over and over again, we have eyewitnesses to this event. We have we know that John was there. We know we know that Peter was in town. Uh, we know that there were people that were there that actually saw these things. And if not there, they were they talked to people that were. For instance, John definitely would have shared his experience at the cross with the other disciples when they met later on. It just makes What did you do yesterday, John? Well, uh, was it kind of no big deal? Did you want to know what I had for breakfast? No, no, no. Uh, it was a big day. There was there was a lot of things that happened. Uh, John and the disciples have done what? For the last 3 years, give or take, they have been following Jesus. They've set aside their professions. They set aside their weekly paycheck, what, you know, however we want to look at that. And they followed Jesus. They did as the master commanded. They followed him. That's what that idea of following means. <clears throat> and so they set aside their lives to follow this man. And now this man, and we're thinking physical now, this man is about to be executed. He's about to be crucified. He's going to be dead in just a little while. Uh, and what is the... Three years. I've invested three years of my life and all of that is what? Wasted. Because the leader that I thought was the son of God, and now I'm beginning to wonder. I'm beginning to wonder. Because here he is. He's, he's being, he's hung on a cross like common criminals. Like we've seen hundreds of people hung on the cross and we'll talk more about that. A little later on, uh, skipping down to verse 33. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, they said, This is the place of a skull. They gave him vinegar to drink, uh, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet. And we'll be talking about that. They parted his garments among them, and upon my vesture they did cast lots. And that is from Psalm chapter 22, uh, verse 36. And sitting down, they watched him there. Now let's talk about the they. They watched him there. Sitting down, they watched him there. And I want to talk about that just a little bit because we don't think about it this way anymore. Uh, we have capital punishment in this country, but none of us have ever witnessed, or I don't think any of us have ever witnessed a capital punishment being carried out, be it a electric chair or gas chamber or lethal injection or firing squad or, you know, whatever it was. That's something that's kind of done in secret now. It's done in private. It's not a public display. Well, that's not true. And not that long ago, but way back when it was, it was an event. People flocked to watch a crucifixion. People didn't die on the cross in just a minute or two it was not a quick take a picture before it's all over you know use your instagram use your polaroid instant picture you're going to miss it you can be there all day you can come, you can go home rest come back tomorrow morning and get and get the climax it takes a long time for people to die on the cross and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go along and so here we have this verse that reads for us: "And sitting down, they watched him there. Sitting down, who? The, well, the guards. They've done what? The, they've done the manual work. They've nailed him to it. They've raised the cross up. He's now hanging there. And so now, all they've got, their next job is to bring him down and dispose of the remains. That's it. They, that's all they've got left to do. And so they're sitting down." There are people in the crowd that are there, that are there for what reason? Well, we know John's there. We know Mary, mother of Jesus, is there. Uh, We don't know about too many other, quote, believers that were there. But we certainly can believe that many of the people that were throwing their clothes on the street and pulling down palm fronds or olive branches or whatever we want to call those things on what we call now Palm Sunday... We're there as well. They're in town. This is what's going on. Wow, I'm, you got to be there. Hey, there's something really. Let's all go to the tennis gardens and watch. Think about that. Think about what we just had here with the traffic and all of that business. People are there. They know something's happening and the Romans are doing something and, they, and I want to see it. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to get too close to the Romans, but I want to see what's happening. And so there are some of the people that were there saying Hosanna, King of Kings, Hosanna in the highest, praise God and all of that business are there watching Jesus on the cross. Amidst two thieves that deserve to be there. I mean, it's just a common execution. No big deal. You see, we see crucifixions all the time, but it is a public event. And so we have those people as well. And we have, we have, of course, and we read this, we have the, uh, chief priest. Chief priest is the one that's really been pushing the fact that we gotta get rid of this Jesus. He is really a pain in our theological neck. Uh, and we can go back over and talk about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and the problem that he's created in the established religion of the day. So they're all for it. They want, they actually want to see him take that last breath. They want to make sure, yeah, he's dead. That's good. That's all over. Whew, boy, we took care of that. That's what they're looking for. And then there are those that they don't know what's going on. Oh, there's an execution today. Oh, well, that'll be something to do. Bring your lunch and we'll go sit down and we'll watch. And we, ooh. Well, that's today. Yesterday. Couple hundred years yesterday, public executions were a thing to see. And when you think about it, if capital punishment is a deterrent for a crime, uh, and we've got the bad guy, the murderer, the whatever, uh, that's being executed, hung, shot, whatever, whatever the means of execution is, uh, is being done, we go, not necessarily to relish the death, but yes, we're getting, We're ridding society of this menace. And I think that's what a lot of those people that are there, people that are sitting there, we're ridding, we're going to rid ourselves of this menace, this menace to uh, the established, the status quo. We're going to eliminate that problem. And man, what a problem we're having. The the Romans are really being uh, extra Nasty to the Jews. And we can blame that on Jesus. We can. It's all today. Today. you, We can. We can blame our president for everything. Because he's president. It's his fault. Think about that. I mean there was something the other day. There's, how, how could you possibly. Say that it's his fault. Now I'm not using his name on purpose. Because. It happens with all of, It happens with every president. It happened with Carter. It happened with, and you name some presidents. Think about it in your lifetime that uh, they got blamed for what? For stuff that they had absolutely nothing to do with. But, hey, must be his fault. He was president. What's going on? What's going on? People are there And they don't know what's going on. And that's really the problem, isn't it? When we don't know what's going on, there's a problem. When we don't understand what's going on, there's a problem. When we don't truly understand that God is the God of the universe, that God created the heavens and the earth, that God loved us so much that he sent his son in order that we might be reconciled to him, that we might not go to hell, but we might go to heaven for eternity. When we don't understand that, when we don't really truly believe that, there's a problem. There's turmoil in our minds, in our hearts. And we're looking for those answers. And the answers come when we're willing to look. And what I really appreciate by what I've just read in regards to this is the prophetic superscription that's here. Everything that's happened has happened... (coughs) Because of what God has already said. And we can go back into the Old Testament. We can go back 700 years, 800 years, 1,000 years ago. And God said such and such. And now it's coming to fruition. That's the God we're talking about. That's the God that we're talking about. God is the God of the universe. Culmination of history. Promised Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen. Uh, Satan, uh, Satan, in the person of the of the serpent in, in the garden, and God's pronouncement on, on the serpent or on on Satan is, "You'll bruise his heel, but your head's going to be bruised." And so we got this little hiccup in the road. Jesus has to physically die in order to be raised from from the dead. That may, don't you have to be dead to be raised from the dead? I mean, that just makes logical sense, doesn't it? The call of, and we don't think too much about this, at least I haven't. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God tells Abraham, and you remember this. You've read this before or heard it before. God said, get up, pack your stuff, everything. You're not coming back and go and I, to a place that I will show you. Didn't give him a Google thing. Didn't give him the trip, to, what do you call it, help me. GPS, GPS. thank you. See, uh, there's my technology showing again. Okay, didn't give you a map from Auto Club. None of that business. Just get up and go. Get up and go. That's the God of the universe. And I will make you a nation of people. I will make you a nation. Establishment of Israel. The nation is a cradle of the king. And if we look, through scripture, we find that there's an absolute bloodline all the way through the scripture to leading to the Lord Jesus Christ. Through David the king, and we've talked about that before. All religious symbols and rites are established from the very beginning. Many of the things that we do in the Christian church find their roots in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Think about that. Go back and read uh, about the tabernacle in the wilderness and then the temple worship. Temple worship as it was meant to be worshiped. And when you superimpose the Lord Jesus Christ upon that and the fact that we're not, we're not slaughtering bulls and we're not in that kind of business, but we have the what? The blood of Jesus. I'm washed in the blood. Ooh. I mean, there's, Shirley didn't become a nurse because she can't stand blood, but she's washed in the blood. See, there's a difference between the physical situation and the spiritual situation, isn't there? You know, well, this kind of blood's okay, but not this kind. Makes sense. Makes sense. There's victory at the cross. Satan's claims are paid. Satan has been paid. Christ's sufferings are ended. Christ's sufferings, let's talk about that for just a moment, because we have to think in terms of those 33 years that Christ was here physically as a man. He was suffering as men suffer. He was going through hunger pains. He'd stubbed his toe and ouch, it hurts. Give me a band-aid. I mean, I'm being silly, but you got the idea. All of those things. He subjected himself to the uh, authority of his mother, of his father. Scripture tells us very clearly that Jesus was found to be honorable before men and to be honorable before men in that day meant that you were doing exactly what daddy told you to do. And one of daddy's chief responsibilities is to make sure that you were uh, trained in a profession so that you could make a living for yourself and for your family. That's your job as a father to make sure that your child, your sons are can, will be eventually self-sufficient. And Jesus followed in the footsteps of his father. So here's Jesus, king of kings, lord of lords, getting splinters in his hands, making a stupid step stool for somebody. Suffering, suffering, suffering the pains of persecution. Now he was probably two or three years old when this occurred. But certainly he had to be told the stories that he was taken out of Israel, taken from home and went to Egypt to spend time in Egypt because who was going to kill him? The king was after his hide. And then he came back after the king died. Then he came back. He came back. And we're so glad that he came back. The suffering... The suffering, Christ's suffering is ended, and we'll see that in the sayings of the cross. By the way, next week, we're going to do the seven sayings of the cross. I'm going to take those seven utterances, they're called the sayings, or the seven words of the cross, and we're going to look at each one of them and, and see the focus, how important those sayings really are. But Christ's sufferings are ended. Into thy hands, I commend my spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks from the cross. Into thy hands, I commend my spirit, says Martin Hubler, says Susie Smith, says says whomever as we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to follow him and we're going to follow him where? All the way to paradise, all the way to heaven where we will what? We will stay for all of eternity. And so the victory at the cross ends man's suffering as Christ's suffering is ended. No more pain. And I've got a pain in my back that I, oh, I'm popping pills. I don't want to go under the knife. And my doctor has told me that it's either pills or a knife in which, you know, you choose. And, uh, I've never heard a really a good story that makes me feel comfortable about the knife. So therefore here, so I'm popping pills and I've learned. And somebody was ta- asked me how my back was this morning. And I said, I'm learning that uh, I'm going to do the really important stuff first today because I'm not sure that I can work myself all the way to the end of the day like I used to. I used to work two and three jobs to keep my family going. So I was working all the time. I woke up tired, ready to be more tired for the rest of the day and push, push, push. And I'm not patting myself on the back here, but that's the, and we've all been there. We've all done that. We do what we have to do. I remember when we moved into our house and we had to be out by a certain day and the day arrived and we still had things to do and I worked myself all the way up to exhaustion and very nearly passed out as Shirley and I went to bed that night and were able to close the door and say, we're moved. And it was at that time that I I said this, I will never move again. If I move again, he, and that's my son, he will move me. I will sit there and say, put my underwear in this box and put it right there on the truck, I might supervise a little bit, but I'm not doing it. I'm not. It's over. It is over. Suffering. And now the, the situation now. Anyway, man's suffering is ended. Not physically, because I'm still here. But when I'm not here, when I'm here, with when I'm with him, it's all over. It's all over. So be careful now, because I'm going to say something that some of you are going to take issue with. I am not going to heaven to look down for all of eternity and watch what Philip does while I'm gone. How is that possible? Because if Philip makes a mistake, and since he's here and I'm pointing at him and I'm picking on him, if Philip makes a mistake, that's going to pain my heart. If Philip falls down and breaks his leg, it's going to break my heart. My son Blair... Over forty years old fell off his skateboard and broke his leg to the point that he had to be operated on with pins in it and all all of that kind of business. I mean, give me a break, will you please? And I'm using break in another way here. But would I want to see that from heaven? What would what would I be thinking about in heaven? Will that be a joyful day? No more tears, no more anguish, no more pain. But I see Philip breaking his leg. I see Philip making an error. I see Philip going through some anguish that I share. No. No more pain means no more pain. Wow. How neat is that? No more pain. Man's suffering is ended in Christ. And even in a physical way, even in a physical way, that pain Is ended. Because in Christ I can turn it over to him. I can learn to avoid the pain. And here I'm talking about the pain in my back again. By doing exactly what I'm now doing. And that's doing the important stuff. And then when my back says you've done enough today. I sit down. And there's been days when I've come home on Sunday afternoon. And I'm usually Pretty wiped out on Monday, so Monday is a good day for me not to do anything at all uh, that requires more than getting up and going into the restroom once in a while. And uh, I still get my own coffee. I know better than to Shirley fetch. I mean, we don't. I don't do that ever, ever. You know, God gave me just a, that much wisdom, and I use that all the time. But <clears throat> that's it. And then there's there's been days. There's been weeks when three or four days are like that. And I don't do much of anything uh, until it gets to be about Thursday and I need to be preparing for Sunday. And so I do. But, and then what, what happens? God gets me through. God gets me through. So the common people with their mocking scorn have come to the cross. The religious leaders with their blasphemous come to the cross. The thieves uh with doubting scorn, and the thieves are part of the, hey, Jesus, if you're really the Son of God, hey, do something. My paraphrase of the Scripture. Even the thieves. And it said thieves plural, which means the one that finally confesses before the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, you'll be with me in paradise today. He just got done uh, blaspheming the Lord. If you're really of God, call God down to fix this thing. There is no God. What a terrible thing to say. Can you imagine? Think about that. The God of the universe that created you as an individual. He created you. There is no God. In a physical sense, it would be like one of my kids coming to me and say, you're not my father. I disown you. Recently, my granddaughters, and you know the two I'm talking about, Lucy and, and Sasha. They're two years apart. Sasha's six. Uh, Lucy's four. And they get in a little tiff. And Tiff, not Tiffany is my daughter. So and that's not what I'm saying. They get in a little fight, I guess. And one will say to the other, you're not my sister anymore. I mean, and they say it vehemently enough that you believe what they say. They, they really believe that that's what they're You're not my sister anymore. Oh. Oh, the hurt. Oh, the hurt. There is no God. It just all happened in random. We'll go there another day. Uh Women in their fearful devotion, I mean Mary's there. Mary, Mary is hard to describe because Mary had that visitation from the angel. Mary, let's do it, virgin and all of that business. Scripture tells us that she knew not a man until after Jesus was born. <clears throat> and so Jesus is special. They have to go to Egypt. They have to come back from Egypt. They go to the temple when he's 12 years old and he stays there and they've lost him. And in a physical sense, they're just absolutely out of their mind. And I can remember going to the fair one time and all of a sudden Tiffany, who was about six, four, wasn't there. Shirley and I were just absolutely crazy. But the fair does a pretty good job of locking the gates, and they had a cage <laughs> or a fenced-in area, a corral. I guess that's a better word. They had a corral that, that they put lost children in, and that's where she was. I mean, she how do I don't remember how she got there, but she got there, and so we got her back. So that when I read that account again and again, I have to admit. I think about that. That's that personal experience that I've had in losing my child. And I can't believe that Mary didn't have the same feelings. And Joseph, I mean, Joe was there too. So there we are. All of those things, all of these things that have happened. And and now Jesus closed the carpenter shop. And he's just running around uh, the country. Hasn't earned a dime in I don't know how long. I mean, Joseph really failed. He didn't instill in him the work ethic that he should have instilled in him. See, what am I doing? I'm I'm speaking physically, am I not? Because what do we do? Our greatest stumbling block, yours and mine, is stumbling over the difference between physical and spiritual. It just is. That's why when we get to heaven, we're going to look down, and we're going to... Oh, hey, Philip's in trouble. Hey, God, hey... My son, pay attention, God. So I'm intervening for Philip, am I not? That's that's what that intervention is about. Okay. Well, there's an in, there's an in inventor. No, that's not a word, but it's Jesus. Jesus, is the one that intervenes. Jesus is the one that has God's right ear. Jesus is the one. Religious leaders, women, the Roman soldiers. Before the crucifixion, worse than all of the others. Afterward, subdued by the recognition, can't miss the Roman centurion after it's all over, that he says this truly is or was the Son of God. This was. People at the cross. Mixed bag of people. John. John was given a commission. John was told, And one of the things I really find interesting is we really don't know anything more on this line than Jesus telling John to care for his mother. We don't get a chapter on how John did that, if John did that. We just assume that that commission that Jesus pronounced from the cross to John, that the mother would be taken care of. We don't know when Mary passed away. We, so we we know absolutely nothing about Joseph. Poor Joseph just drops off the pages of Scripture uh, after the 12-year-old episode. He's gone. Never mentioned again, except in passing. What did Joe do on Jesus' 18th birthday? And if you ever read a story about what he did that day, oh, there's no Scripture that covers that. None. So be careful. Is it possible? Well, then we get into possibilities and, and forget that, right? There's none. But you know, we have something else and it's called, <coughs> it's called what we, uh, the substitution of Christ. And the substitution of Christ goes this way and it speaks in terms of <coughs> Who Christ is. He's our substitution. He's substitutionary atonement. He's atoning for my sins. He's my substitute. He takes my place. He stands in my shoes. He presents himself as the sinful one that will take upon himself the very wrath of God. John chapter 3 verse 16 Everybody's memory verse. I think we all know it. And it starts with the word. And we're going to use this word now as we. Yeah, got it. Uh, as we as we go, the word is four, And we skip those words in scripture. Three letter words. They don't mean anything. And so we just kind of skim over them. And yeah, they're there. And they make nice grammatical sense. And it makes the sentence flow. And hooray for me. But there's no value to them that's not true. Look at that scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave. The word for is linked to love, is linked to gave. Those three words come together to give us the import of that entire verse. And then in verse 17, it goes on. And that should be part of your memory verse, by the way. It should be a memory passage. For God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's verse 17. But that word for again, and that for is so terribly important. It's an absolute regular personification of who God is. God loves us so much. Therefore, he gave his son. Because it's an outcropping of what? His love for you. His love for me. And all he requires of you is that you acknowledge the love. That you acknowledge the love. So we have the substitution of Christ. Christ is the giver. Luke chapter 22 says, given for you. The life is given for you. Christ is the atoner. Luke chapter 22 says, shed for you. The blood was shed for you. Your blood was spared. His blood was given, freely given. Christ is the bread for the bread of life. For the life of the world is in the bread. Christ is the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. That's what the shepherd's out there doing. He fights off the wolves and the bears. Anybody that would eat the sheep, he's he's supposedly there. He takes care of the sheep. Read Psalm 23 uh, again, and I'm sure you've heard it before and read it before, and think of it in terms of Jesus Christ, the shepherd of the sheep. And then read John chapter 10, because it's talked about there in the New Testament. Christ is a volunteer. I lay down my life for the sheep. He says in John chapter 10, Christ has the provision for the ungodly ones. Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you and you're ungodly. Or you were. Christ is the provision. Christ died for us. Christ is the Passover. Think in terms of that Passover story once again. The death angel passes over. And because you had the faith that those Jews had the faith to do as they were told to do, and that's to acknowledge the power of God by taking the blood of the lamb and placing it on the doorposts, the death angel passed over. And that's exactly what God has asked you to do. God has asked you to take the blood of the lamb, take the blood that God shed for you on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ and bathe yourself in it. I'm bathed in the blood. I'm washed in the blood. In order that I might be what? White as snow. That I might become righteous. Christ is the fulfiller of scripture. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ is the sin bearer. He has made himself to be sin for us. Think about that. You name the sin and he's guilty of it. He's taken every one of your sins and placed it upon himself. He's standing before the judge of the world. And in this case, it's God. And he's saying, I'm guilty of this, this, and this. I'm murder, the Ten Commandments, do all of that stuff. I'm guilty of all of it. And I take upon myself the responsibility for it. And I'm willing to do what? I'm willing to go to the cross. I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die. Because of that sin that I've taken upon myself. Christ is a substitute. He gave himself for me. Christ is the curse bearer. He's made a curse for us. Christ is the lover. Loved us so much. That he gave himself. For it. Christ is a savior. Salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians. Christ is the ramson. First Timothy chapter 2. Christ is the redeemer. Uh, Titus chapter 2. Christ is a kinsman. Tastes death for every man. Hebrews chapter 2. Christ is a sacrifice. Christ is a sufferer. Christ is a redeemer. Christ is the example. Christ as the inspirer. He laid down his life for us. As we ought to lay down our lives for others. And that is John 1 John chapter 3. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives. For the brethren. Now. He laid his life down physically. You're being asked to give your life over. To his work. That's your laying down your life. That's taking that. Booklet and giving to someone. And he says, let me tell you what Easter is really all about. Forget the bunny. Forget the Easter eggs. Forget all of that. This is what Easter is all about. And if I don't have all of the answers, there's others that do. Why don't you come to church with me? We're going to talk about what love is all about. Christ is all of those things. Christ is all of those things. that we ought to lay down our lives... For the brethren, who's the brethren? That's you, that's us, that's one another, that's the fellowship. That's why we pray on the end of, on the back of our bulletin. We have prayers for our people. And we ask you to diligently, as you pray, that you not only pray for yourself, please. I don't know where my car payment's coming from this month, but you know, and we've all prayed a prayer like that. We pray for Lindy, we pray for Jewel who's been in a coma for four months. And she's still not out of it. She's eye recognition, but she still can't speak. Four months. She fell around the 1st of December. And where are we now? Reach out. Are you praying for Lindy every day? Are you praying for Jewel every day? Are you praying? And what's the rest of the list? You read the list. Are you praying for the church every day? We ask you that you pray for the church, that people will come. And why do we want people to come? And I'm not a, I'm not a head counter, although I do keep attendance. I want people to come because I want people to hear. I want people to know that God loves them and has a wonderful plan for your life. I want them to know that God so loved the world that He gave His life for you that's in that empty chair. And you can fill that chair with someone. You can do that. And that's giving your life. That's putting your life on the line. That's kind of setting yourself up for ridicule. That's set and so on and so on. For God so loved the world. Not that he was willing to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. The entire world might be saved. That's a possibility. For God so loved the world. That's what Easter's about. That's what the cross is about. That's what that <clears throat> into thy hands I commend my spirit is about. That's what the shedding blood is about. That's what it's all about. Jesus loves us so much. God loves us so much that he's willing to do that for you and me. Let's pray together. Gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you today for that which you have done even so many hundreds, thousands of years ago in giving us your Son. That's good, fresh stuff even today. And we thank you and we praise you as we now take up that cross that you've asked us to take up and we go And share with the brethren the life-giving message that Easter represents. We thank you now and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to be singing a Southern Gospel tune today. Saved, Saved, Saved.